Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, we're going to look at verses 18 to 21 today. A couple of parables. Jesus tells us about the kingdom of God. If I start to cough today, I don't have the virus. <clears throat> I mowed the grass yesterday and it was very dusty and I'm having a bit of an allergy reaction to that, but we'll see how we get through it. Luke 13, verses 18 to 21. <clears throat> he said, therefore, <clears throat> what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, as you've noticed throughout the service, we've been making reference to the kingdom of God. Christ is king and the Lord is king and we're talking today about the kingdom of God, these two parables that Jesus tells that describe the kingdom of God. But before we ex explore what he's saying about the kingdom of God, uh, we must have a clear understanding of what Jesus means by the kingdom of God. Now, of course, a kingdom is a territory over which a king uh, rules, a kingdom, king, a dominion of a king. Uh, we understand that God is the creator of all things and he rules over them. And the extent of his dominion is the whole universe. So, in a sense, the kingdom of God is everywhere. However, in the New Testament, John the Baptist, as he announces the coming of the Messiah into the world, the coming of, of Jesus, and Jesus himself when he began his public ministry, they both said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. Well, what do they mean by that? If God already rules over everything by virtue of his being the creator of it all, how is it that they say the kingdom of God is at hand or is near? And, and why do we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come? Well, as you may know, back in the Garden of Eden, in the universe that God created and ruled over, a rebellion took place. Satan deceived Adam and Eve and they rebelled against God. And as a result, all mankind fell into sin and misery, decay and death. Adam's sin nature was passed down to all humanity. And the hearts of all humans were captured by evil, in a sense. Satan, as Jesus refers to him in John's gospel, became in one sense the ruler of this world. Chapters 14 and 16, 12 as well, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. Well, immediately after the debacle in the garden, God makes a promise that one born of woman would come and destroy the devil and his works. And as the Old Testament pro progresses from Genesis, we are slowly given more information about this promised one. We discover that 
he is going to come from the line of Noah's son, Shem, of the Semitic people. And then it's further narrowed down that we find out that he would come from Abraham's line, then from Israel, and then from the tribe of Judah within Israel. And we also find out in the Old Testament that he's going to be a prophet and a king and a priest. And, and, and he's going to be a king from the line of David. And then the Old Testament tells us many other things about this promised one. That he would be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. Well, this coming Messiah would not only defeat Satan once and for all, but he would cleanse people from their sin and redeem a people from slavery to sin and evil for himself so that they could be citizens of his kingdom in the redeemed new heavens and new earth. So when Jesus arrives on the scene and says the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near, he means that he is inaugurating his, this promised kingdom. His work of defeating evil and saving people for this kingdom has begun. One day in the future, he will return and consummate that kingdom. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It hasn't been consummated yet. And that's what we have seen in, in Luke and the other Gospels as we see the, the, the record of Jesus' life. Jesus forgives sins. He's cleansing people of their sins. He's casting out demons, defeating, defeating Satan and his minions. He's healing the sick, reversing the decay that's there, the blind, the lame, raising the dead. All these things are demonstrating the nature of his kingdom, of his rule in the world. Now, since he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, he has left his followers here to carry on doing this work, this kingdom work, telling people about the king and his kingdom, living as citizens of that kingdom, representing that kingdom, ambassadors of that kingdom to the world, remaining steadfast in our loyalty to the king. That's what Jesus means by the kingdom of God. Well, these two parables tell us about that kingdom. What's this kingdom like that Jesus has inaugurated and will one day consummate, that he invites us to be citizens of? What's that kingdom like? Well, there's two main things here. We've got two parables, and parables are, are rather simple uh, pictures of, of illustrating the kingdom of God. The first parable uh, is about a mustard seed. The second parable about a, a parable about leaven. And these Two parables describe something about Christ's kingdom. First, that the growth of the kingdom uh, the, tells us some things about the growth of the kingdom. And <clears throat> also, secondly, tells us about the influence of the kingdom. <clears throat> well, this first parable about the mustard seed tells us about the growth of the kingdom. The kingdom has very small beginnings, <clears throat> but becomes large. Now, we're very blessed to have a beautiful property here at First Presbyterian Church. Not only do we have a beautiful church building, a beautiful sanctuary, and beautiful, beautiful uh, building and grounds, but we have a, a wonderful view of the Gulf of Mexico, uh, not even a hundred yards or so away. And, of course, that wonderful view is so stunning because of the live oaks that, that sit all over our property. Truly beautiful. The largest oak on our property, on the playground, which is uh, 
right out here, is estimated to be about 100 years old according to its girth. I've been, I've been doing some research on live oaks and reading up on the Live Oak Society where all these majestic live oaks throughout the South uh, are registered, over 9,000 oak trees. And we're going to have this one on, the, on that registry because it's a, it's a big one. Well, it's hard to imagine that our big oak tree here on the playground started out as a single acorn, no larger than the tip of your finger. And, and everything that you need to have a majestic oak tree like we have out here and surrounding our property is contained in that small acorn. Perhaps some squirrel 100 years ago buried that acorn out here, and we have the result to look at. It's wonderful to, to have the, the office, the pastor's office, where it is, because I sit at my desk and I look out that window, and perfectly framed in that window is that oak tree. And it's really fun to watch the birds, and, but study really hard while I'm doing that. <laughs> well, Jesus didn't have live oak trees in, in Israel, uh, but he did have the mustard plant. <clears throat> the mustard seed is, is very small, of course. It's about the size of the head of a straight pin. And if you've ever eaten stone ground mustard or uh, whole grain mustard, you've seen it's got the mustard seeds inside of it. You can also buy mustard seeds in the spice section at the grocery store. Now, although it begins as a very tiny little seed, the mustard plant can grow to over 10 feet in height. Practically a tree so large that birds can nest in it. And in Jesus' day, there was a saying, <clears throat> as small as a mustard seed. And it's the idea is the, the smallness of the mustard seed contrasted with its amazing growth. It's kind of like our saying, from little acorns do big oaks grow. Likewise, is what Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God has very small, humble beginnings, but it continues to increase and grow becomes a, a great tree. Well, we see it in the, the growth of the kingdom in the world, don't we? You think about the very humble beginnings of Christianity. A baby was born. A baby was born in a little village, a nowheresville village called Bethlehem. In fact, you can go back a little further than that. God became a, a fetus, a, a little baby inside of Mary. And that baby was born in a manger, laid in a manger, and nobody really of any importance came to visit. Some wise men came a little later after the birth. Shepherds welcomed Jesus. That was about it. And then he moved to a little village called Nazareth, which was on the wrong side of the tracks. You remember when Jesus was calling the disciples to himself. I believe it was uh, Nathaniel that said, Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Jesus begins his ministry, and he gathers around, gathers around him some disciples, 12 very unimpressive guys who really have a hard time learning what Jesus is saying. They weren't highly educated for the most part. Most of them were fishermen, tax collectors, one of them was a zealot, a freedom fighter, if you will. So a ragtag group of men. But those humble beginnings 
We soon find Acts 17 as they are filled with the Spirit and they start to proclaim the, the good news of Christ's kingdom that the world is becoming changed. When they come to Thessalonica, the people start to riot there and they say of these disciples, these men who have caused trouble all over the world are here. These 12 humble guys throw in the Apostle Paul. They're, they're changing the world. Those very humble beginnings, the gospel began to spread. Until today, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Almost 3 billion adherents. Well, we can take one example to see even how it grows within the growth that it's already had in the world. Take South Korea, or Korea, the whole thing, of the whole nation of Korea. <clears throat> Before 1884, Korea had no Protestant church whatsoever. In fact, the Catholics had come a little earlier, and they had converted some people in, in Korea, but they had a regime change, and, and they uh, killed about 8,000 8, practicing Catholics in 1860s. So uh, Korea became a closed country. No foreigners were allowed into, into Korea. And it was deemed impossible to penetrate. Well, today, one in five South Koreans professes faith in Christ. Almost 30% of the population is Christian. More than eight and a half million believers are there. And, and they're only second to the United States in sending missionaries all over the world. How did that begin? Well, a Welshman named Robert Germain Thomas was a missionary to China, and he decided he wanted to reach out to the Koreans. Of course, as I said, Korea was closed to outsiders, and in 1865 and in 1866, he took trips to find out about what was going on in Korea. He wasn't allowed to stay there very long, and, and he really wasn't welcomed. In the second trip, he traveled to Korea in an armed American trade ship, trying to make contact. He was taking Bibles and, and gospel tracts to them, but they could not. Everywhere they would go to try to get it to port, the Koreans would drive them away. Well, their ship uh, ran aground, and, uh, and t Mr. Thomas threw the Bibles and the tracts ashore, and the people came and burned the ship and killed all the people on the ship. Well, those Bibles, uh, one story, and I'm not sure how true it is, but said that one fellow wallpapered his house with the Bible, and people started coming and reading the scriptures on his walls. And from that humble beginning, one man's effort, one man's heart to reach out to them, the place opened up, Christianity took hold, and people's lives were changed to, to where you have Korea as one of the most influential Christian nations on earth. Well, think of the growth of the kingdom, not only in the world, but think of it in you. Think about how you were changed if you're a believer today. Maybe it came from your parents. What did they do? They read the Bible to you, prayed with you, 
at your bedside before you went to sleep each night, took you to church, very normal patterns of life. Or if you came to, to you didn't grow up in a Christian home, perhaps a, a friend invited you to church. Or maybe a stranger came to you and shared the gospel. We all have different stories to tell, but usually our conversions aren't of the Apostle Paul type where a light from heaven comes and knocks us down on the road. Usually it's a word from a friend or a loved one sharing the good news of Jesus with us. And from those humble beginnings, the kingdom grows in you and changes your life. And that should teach us something about how the, the kingdom grows around us. How can we make a difference in the world? You know, we would love to have a, a, a wide influence. We would love to, to change the world. We want to see the world change, especially as we see all the unrest and difficulties in our world today. We think, how could that ever change? Well, it's got to change through humble means, through simple sharing person to person to person. That's how things multiply. Make it spread like a virus. You know, we spread this virus person to person when we come in contact. Well, we don't want to give people the virus. We want to give them the gospel, the good news of Christ. There's going to be one by one, humble people sharing Christ, showing Christ, living as citizens of the kingdom, praying for people, these very humble ways that we can reach out that the Lord has given us. Of course, God is the one who gives the growth. Paul said, you know, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. He's the one that causes the growth. So our little watering, our little sowing the seed, our prayers, God uses those to grow his kingdom. And it will grow. That's the point of the passage here is that it's inevitable. Its growth is going to overtake the entire world until Christ returns and then the whole world is his kingdom. And there is no more sin or evil. There are no more viruses. There are no more riots. There are, there's no more hatred. All those things will be gone. So Jesus tells us these things so we won't be discouraged. Don't, be, don't despise the day of small things. Just keep sowing, keep watering, keep doing what God has called us to do. And Jesus said that he would build his church. And the gates of hell cannot, will not, prevail against it. The church will never perish. R.C. Sproul said, John Calvin said, that it is a task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks, because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. God will bless it. Well, that first, of course, passage tells us about the growth of the kingdom. The second one tells us about the influence of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has a pervasive influence in the world. Now the picture we have here is leaven, verse 21. It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. 
Well, of course, leaven is what makes dough rise. You want some nice bread, you know, you've got to put some a leavening agent of some sort of or another in it. So it will fluff up. Well, we see here that the influence of the kingdom is transformational. You know, the leaven transforms the dough. It causes it to rise. Christ's influence upon the hearts of people transforms their lives. The flour cannot transform itself. You know, if you have some flour and you add a little water to it, it's not going to rise on its own. It's got to have some yeast or some leaven. You don't have the power to transform yourself. It's not within you. It has to come from outside of you to transform you. You cannot be a Christian by moral reform. You can't, by your own efforts, get into Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom has to come into you, his rule in your heart, and when he's worked into your heart, you're transformed. That's the way it works. So the, influ the influence of the kingdom is transformational, just like the leaven transforms the dough. Christ, by his rule in our hearts, his influence in our hearts, transforms us into his image. And we see the influence of the kingdom is not only transformational, it's from the inside out. So something from the outside needs to be brought in, like the leaven. Something from the outside has to be brought into our hearts, and that something is Christ. You need to crown Christ king in your heart. Do you see the influence of Christ in your life? Are, are you being transformed by the power of Christ in your life? Are you seeing his image being stamped on your life? Are you growing in that? And it is, a, it is affecting every area of your life. Leaven affects every bit of the dough. A little bit takes over and has its influence. Well, with Christ in our hearts, it should influence every area of our lives. Well, that's a challenge to us because we don't want to give up our own little kingdom, don't we? You know, we like to rule over some parts of it. You know, we, we might uh, say, okay, Jesus, you can, you can have my relationships over here or you can have my work over here or my church life over here, but my money, mm, that's a different story. Or maybe you, you can switch and swap those out. What, we're, what Christ is calling us to do is surrender everything to him. To come and be a part of his kingdom means that he's Lord over all of our lives, the complete package of our life. And that's, that's hard sometimes because we don't like to give up control. But his kingdom has that wonderful, transforming influence in our lives. And, and we just have to believe that yes, if we, if we do things as he would have us to do them, if we submit to his lordship in our lives, our lives are going to be so much better. It, they may still be difficult, there may be difficulties, but, but we know that we, we have a confidence that we're in his kingdom and he's ruling over us and guiding and directing us and bringing things into our lives so that we might be transformed. Sometimes that takes the heat of the oven. Well, 
Two things that we want to take away from this, at least. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can take away from this. But to be encouraged that the kingdom will grow and through its influence transform the world. It will transform us and transform the world. That which has been inaugurated is going to be consummated in us and in the world. That's what we're living for. When we get discouraged by all the difficulties around us, let's remember, Christ's kingdom is going to take over the world. It's going to have its influence throughout the world. Pervasive, complete transformation. That's where we're headed. I don't know when that will be, but that's where we're headed. And we'll all be a part of it one day if we've embraced Jesus Christ. So this is a call, really, to think about the kingdom and live for something a bigger than yourself. You think about your life, you know. We, in one sense, we have our own little kingdom, you know. It's our life, my life. You know, I'm doing what I want to do, and I'm maybe calling the shots in my life. Well, Jesus, by reminding us that his kingdom is going to fill the earth, and it's going to transform the earth, reminds us that we need to be a part of that kingdom, because our little kingdom is going to come to an end. His kingdom is forever. So live for something bigger than yourself and your own little kingdom. Put your trust in him. Be a part of his kingdom. Be a citizen of heaven. And know that you too will be transformed completely and live in that world where there is no sin, no evil, death, no decay. Well, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us these wonderful promises of your kingdom, a reminder of where history is going. It's sure and it's certain. Your kingdom will be eternal. Lord, we pray that everyone here would be a part of that kingdom. Help us to surrender to King Jesus. Help us to relinquish the control and submit to Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious Lord and that you love us and care for us and want the very best for us. Lord, we pray that you would deepen our faith, that we might trust you in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.